Well, good morning to you. I've got to do a little housekeeping here to get comfortable. You don't mind if I do that, do you? I guess it doesn't matter much. I'm going to do it anyhow. I'm not sure how it's going to go. Uh, stayed in a beautiful hotel room last evening. And uh, my confidence was shaken early this morning when I put my underwear on backwards. And it's not like it's the only tag. There's a reason. It's very apparent which way that underwear should go on. So we're going to hope that the rest of this goes just a little better this morning. I'm going to speak to you this morning from Philippians chapter... So I don't trip. Speak to you this morning from Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. The title for my talk this morning is Together for Grace. Together for Grace. It's amazing the kind of connections that we have in the faith of Jesus Christ. Um, uh, Ma'am, was your name Carol that spoke earlier? Uh, the name E.C. and Carolyn Haskell mean anything to you? Uh, they're personal friends of ours from days going back to Chattanooga. And when this little guy up here was just a baby, and his brother was about two and a half or three, we were over to the Haskells having lunch and fellowship, and there were some other folks there, and the pool was open, and people were swinging, swimming, and his older brother jumped in the pool figuring it was the thing to do. Three years old, right, mind you. And Carolyn Haskell saved my son's life. Um, connected. There's a connection there. We're together for grace. Think about that with me just for a moment. Just that thought. I'm going to get into it a little bit more. Um, if I were to spend some time in and with the fellowship, or, or, or able to lead folks, or, or teach something over a course of time, I think I would spend a good bit of time in the book of Philippians. And I believe it's from the entire book of Philippians, even though we're only going to focus on the first four verses of chapter 1 this morning, that I get that theme, together for grace. You know, if you were to look at the book of Philippians, there's basically four handles that you can grab a hold of, and they're all related to Jesus Christ. In chapter 1, we find that Christ is my life. Christ is my life. For to me, to live is Christ. Chapter 2, we find that Christ is my attitude. Let this mind be in you. Let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ. Chapter 3, we find that Christ is our goal. I press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of Jesus Christ. I press towards that goal. In chapter 4, we find that Christ is our strength. I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. But let's back up just a little bit. And I'm going to be throwing a lot of stuff out there to you this morning. Uh, kind of in a way, there's going to be some stories. There's going to be theology. There's going to be some points from God's Word. There's going to be some ideas, some thoughts. And what I'm going to be doing is casting those things to the palate of your heart. Perhaps you, like me, have been mesmerized by these artists that 
take paint and uh, they throw that paint upon a pallet and uh, they continue to work and to continue to brush that paint. And they'll change colors of that paint. They'll throw more of that paint upon that pallet. And they'll continue to work that paint. They, they may even take a can of paint and throw it on that pallet. Only a limited amount of mess this morning. And they continue to work that paint upon that pallet. And you sit there or you watch on the internet and you scratch your head. What is that guy doing? What's he coming up with? I mean, he seems to know what he's doing. He seems to know what his objective is. But I just can't make it out. And at the very end of the video, he'll turn that pallet upside down, right? Or that canvas upside down. And it all makes sense to you what that picture is. I'm going to be throwing theology and some thoughts and and other things upon the palette or the canvas of your heart this morning. And I guarantee you, something ought to strike you when I take the opportunity at the end of this message to take all that truth and completely turn it upside down and give you something to think of that I bet you have never thought of before. And if you have, Lord bless your heart. Let's pray together. Father God, I come to Your throne this morning and I thank God for this opportunity that You brought us together to hear Your Word and to focus on this truth. And Father, I think of my brother Ken this morning and that You might continue to strengthen his life and and bring the course of all the meds and all the care and all that together to get everything completely under control that He might thoroughly be restored to complete strength and be standing here again each and every Sunday morning. And Father, collectively, I'm going to suggest that we take a moment and we think of believers that have worshipped or are worshipping in Ukraine already today. I think of Pasha. And I think of Pastor Taurus. And I think of other friends that I know in Ukraine whose homes have been destroyed, who every building on their street has been blown out. We pray that you might bless their hearts and keep them strong. They love you. And if we could only have a portion of the passion they have for the gospel, my, how it might change our lives. Father, we give you this time. We ask that you work in our midst and help us take the light of your word, the light of your truth, and live our lives in such a way that we can be together for the purpose of grace. When I think of being together, I think of being knit or bonded together. And as I thought of that illustration and clasping my hands, I thought of gripping my hands together another way. There's the church, there's the steeple, you open the doors and there's all the people. You ever see that before? Probably done it as a child or had others do it in the Sunday school class. The idea of being together, we get. The idea of being to grace We know what the definition is. It's God's unmerited favor towards us. That is God giving us something that we do not deserve. 
we get that. We get it, but I don't think we totally get it, nor do I think we totally get it until we stand in front of our Savior. And we see His thorn-pierced brow, and we see His nail-pierced hands, and we see His sword, the sword-riven side that He has. And really what He's done for us. That's okay, we're all growing. Matter of fact, a verse I'm not going to get to in Philippians talks about, and He who began this work in you will complete it on the day of Jesus Christ. We're all under construction together for grace until the day of Jesus Christ. That tells me that not a single one of us has arrived yet. And Ned, that's the guy that you see every morning when you look in the mirror, all right? You're not arrived yet. You're not here. You don't know everything. You're not yet what Christ wants you to be. Continue to work on that. So, we know what together means. And we know, we're getting a glimpse and an understanding of what grace is. But in that phrase, together for grace, interestingly, it's that little stinking word for that gets us a little confused, maybe. I looked up that word for in the dictionary. You know, Mr. Webster says that word for has 53 meanings. And I'm telling you, I'm going to preach through every single one of those meanings this morning. Just three things I'd like to focus on in the word for before I quickly go through some stuff I'm going to cast on your heart and then turn this canvas upside down this morning. The word for has the idea of since. Since. Together. Since grace. I'm together with Carol as a believer in Jesus Christ. But either one of us could date our salvation. Mine was in July of 1970. If Carol had come to Christ before 1970, then I didn't come to be together with her in grace until I got saved. If she came to Christ after 1970, it was at that point that we became together in grace, although we're not even meeting till this morning. But I was not together in grace before I came to Jesus Christ as my Savior. All, the, all, the, all of you this morning that might know Jesus as your Savior, and I think it would be the most of us that are gathered here today, if not all of us, we're together for Christ, but only since that time where we put our faith in Christ and together for grace. For also has the word because. I went to the store for bread. I went to the store because there's bread there. We're together because of grace. It's the grace of Jesus Christ, His shed blood on Calvary's cross, the free gift of salvation that God gives us that has given us the opportunity and the mandate, and the understanding that we are together. We're together because of grace. We're together for grace in that sense. And we're also together for grace when the word for has the word of purpose behind it. 
So there's looking back since, there's looking around, circumspection, because, and there's looking forward for purpose. Because it doesn't end here today, seated in these chairs. This church doesn't exist just together on Sundays. I saw so many things this morning of the lady who spoke about the, 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 the sanctity of life and the, the walk and, and upholding a stand against the evil of abortion. We're together for purposes beyond the walls of this church. Carol, having been associated with Association of the Baptists for World Evangelism for many years and continuing that work in language school for Portuguese and students in Brazil and so forth, she's working for, for the purpose of grace, so that grace might come to the lives of others, so those which have never experienced grace in Jesus Christ may come to experience grace in Jesus Christ. Are you sharing Christ with anyone? Is there somebody that you're concerned with? Are you sharing that this church might continue its missionary support? Do you recognize your pastor loves each and every one of you? And I know that Ken loves this church, and my connection with Ken is that he was the pastor of a couple of my kids when they were living in Indianapolis, Indiana. found out there's another connection. We are chatting over at their home Last night, and Don went to Northland Baptist College, Bible College, as did uh, her husband. She had a professor named Marty Vaughn. And uh, I knew Marty years ago when I was six, seven, eight years old. And uh, went to a little church, I think Fellowship Bible Church, outside of Luthersburg, Pennsylvania. My brother-in-law was the pastor there. My brother-in-law had a youth group of six kids. Five of those kids, including Marty, entered full-time Christian service. And my parents had left me at my sister's house one Sunday evening to spend a week with my sister and went back to Ohio. And I was a little lonely as a seven, eight, nine-year-old kid sitting in church on a Sunday evening and Marty was sitting behind me. And as we were singing a hymn, I'm not sure what hymn it was, But Marty would sing one verse way down low. And then he'd sing one verse way up high to try to brighten the heart of this little boy who's probably crying a little bit because his mom and dad left him in these dark wooded hills of Pennsylvania. A few years after that, December 1st, 2nd, 3rd of 1967, Marty came to Ohio to be in my brother's wedding and he slept in the other twin bed in my room. I haven't seen Marty since that time, I don't think. But there's a connection there. I'll tell you another amazing connection. 1994, my wife and I went to Nepal. We went to Nepal because the year before, her boss, who was a foot doctor, and his friend Rick, John and Rick, they went to Nepal because they wanted to do some medical mission work short term. And they found out they could go for a couple weeks and use their medical skills short term in Nepal. They met a guy named Gopal Sharma. Gopal Sharma was a a trekking guide in Nepal, although he is a believer. And uh, Gopal's father-in-law, Dr. Rongong, back in the 
40s and 50s may have been only one of four or five believers in the entire nation of Nepal. But they witnessed to Nepal and said, with all your skills, with all the things that you do, Gopal, you should be serving Christ here, not taking people on these trekking trips. Within the next year, Gopal had started a ministry called Outreach Nepal. He's been essential in founding maybe as many as a hundred churches in Nepal. Some of these gather as gatherings, uh, four or five, six believers, and then they grow to hundreds. But my wife and I went there on a missions trip in 1994. And uh, we spent, I think, a night or two in Kathmandu, and then we went up to this little town called Nagakot. It's kind of like a Nepali uh, vacation spot. And from there, you were supposed to be able to see the Himalaya Mountains. But the first evening that we were there, we gathered around a table to have dinner. The people in the missions team and Gopal and some others that had joined us along the way. One of those was a Nepali doctor that I'd never met before. His name was Dr. Hom, Hom Nupani. And as we were there having dinner, Dr. Hom asked Gopal, or asked yeah, Dr. Dr. John asked Dr. Holm, excuse me. Dr. Holm, where did you get your medical training? And Dr. Holm said, Bangladesh. I said, Bangladesh? I just took a risk because I had known some missionaries that were missionaries in Bangladesh. I knew of them. I did not know them personally. First church I pastored had two matriarchs in it. Irene Leapline and Edna Queen. And Irene had a couple other kids in the church, but she had a daughter named Nancy that had gone to the mission field with her husband Larry. And they were ministering in Bangladesh. I said, where did you go to church when you were in Bangladesh? And they said, uh, we went to an American church. Matter of fact, Carol, I think Larry and Nancy Allen may have been missionaries with ABWE. I'm, I'm not sure. Um... But uh, we went to this American Baptist church, and I said, Dr. Holm, did you by ever chance ever run into a Larry and Nancy Allen when you were in Bangladesh? And Dr. Holm got the biggest smile on his face, and he said, Larry and Nancy Allen were our very best friends when we were in Bangladesh. So here's a lady that I never met, but I knew her mother in Dunbar, Pennsylvania, and pastored that church, knew of them being missionaries, met this doctor in Nepal halfway around the world at the base of the uh, Himalaya Mountains, and there's a connection because we're together in or for grace. Quickly, several points from Philippians chapter 4. I'll read those words and you might take your Bible or your device and turn with me there. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus, to all the saints in Christ who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God, my Father, in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, 
all making my prayers with joy. Paul begins this letter in a different way than he begins a couple other letters in the New Testament. Paul, he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ. When Paul writes to the Corinthian believers, and Paul writes to the Galatian believers, first thing Paul does is he brings out his apostle badge. He said, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul doesn't do that here with the Philippian believers. uh, Corinth and Galatia had some serious problems. And Paul brought out his apostle badge to help correct some problems in those churches. There's an entirely different tone when Paul begins this letter, and it's a really sweet tone. So you and I are together for grace in a relationship that should be sweet. This should be sweet. And this relationship, I think, is sweet because of how it begins. If you think back to Acts chapter 16, Paul was... uh, Lost my place. Paul, Paul was uh, seeking for a uh, page sticking together. My Bible not have an absent. Yeah, <laughs> that doesn't have an Acts sixteen. Um, you can find it in yours and read it to me. That's fine. I got it. There in verses six and following, Paul tries to go one way, and God basically shuts the door. Paul tries to go another way, and God turns him around. And in that time, Paul sees a vision, hey, come to Macedonia. And he ends up being there in Philippi. And one of the first people that he runs into is a lady named Lydia, the seller of purple, and she's a very wealthy woman. And Paul leads her to Jesus Christ. And apparently she has a connection with a little girl that's a slave, who's a diviner of spirits and can tell the future. And Paul leads this little girl to Jesus Christ. So you have a woman, you have a slave girl. And the people that have control over this slave girl, they get a little bent out of shape because this girl is no longer a benefit to them, having uh, been saved and losing her power or desire to divine spirits and tell fortunes. They're angry because they're losing profits with all of that. And they have Paul and his co-worker thrown into prison. Well, Paul's not dismayed. He just sings songs and the earth shakes. His chains fall off and the jailer gets scared. And then the jailer comes to know Jesus Christ as his Savior. So that's how this church begins. So there's a sense in which it's an ordained relationship. Yeah, we have a free will. We put our, our will and we trust in Jesus Christ, but God has provided the pathway and we know that even God gives us the faith to believe in Jesus Christ. And then as we look in Philippians further, it says grace... Oh, excuse me, back up to verse 1. He's writing this letter and he says to the all the saints in Jesus Christ who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. So 
It started out with a woman, a slave girl, and a jailer, but apparently this church has grown. So you and I are together for grace in a relationship that should be sweet, in a relationship that's God-ordained, and in a relationship that is expanding. It's growing. Because obviously, as Paul's writing now to these believers in Philippi, it's a group of people. Maybe 30, 40? Maybe 100? The number's not given, but it's a group of people that has grown so that they have overseers and deacons in the fellowship together for grace. Together for grace. And then Paul says in verse 2, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we've talked a little bit about that grace, but he also extends peace there. And I think our sister elaborated what that journey has been like over these last months for her. But obviously, as she's standing here this morning and and sharing what has taken place and changes brought to her life, would anyone doubt that she is at peace? At peace with the changes? And at peace with the service that she's now rendering to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Where are you at today? Can you say that you have peace? Are you at peace? We can be saved, but we might not be at peace. So this is a spiritual relationship. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we sang about the uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit this morning. So where's the Spirit here? Anyone see the Spirit here? The Spirit's in the life of every one of the Philippian believers. The Spirit's in your life today. Manifesting itself through grace and peace. I think it's time now to start, as we look at these last couple verses, start to turn that canvas a little bit. Some time for introspection. How do you feel about others in the faith? Are there believers that you're not so close to and maybe you should be close to? We're not going to share the same level of closeness with every believer that's in the family of God, but is there some division? Has something stupid come up and kept you from being together for grace like you should be with another believer? Is there something petty that's come up that's causing you to have a a sense of anger, distrust, resentment, a lack of fellowship with someone? This last Sunday ago, a pastor at our church preached on praying through pain, and he spoke on Psalm chapter 88. And uh, I go to his small group when we were together in small group on Tuesday. And he talked about a painful experience in his life. His wife Jennifer was there, and he said, Jennifer and I dated in high school, but when I went to college, right before I went to college, she broke up with me. And he said, it's one of the most 
painful experiences that he'd ever had in his life. And sure enough, one of his classes there in college must have been a psychology class or something, and they had to do this exercise where he sat in a chair and faced an empty chair. And they were to put a person visually in that empty chair that had been a source of trouble for them. And so he said, I, I visualized Jennifer in that chair. And as I sat in my chair, I told her all the reasons why she had hurt me and how I felt since she had broke up with me and how I didn't feel my life was going to be the same without her in it. And I was angry as I expressed my pain to that empty chair who I envisaged Jennifer in. Then he said an interesting thing happened. He said the leader of the class told us to get out of our chair and sit in their chair and look back at ourselves. Anytime there's a division or a lack of togetherness for the purpose of grace or whatever, it's always two-sided. He said, I saw some things in my own life. I saw some things in my own life. How maybe I had hurt her and I didn't look at it. And I went back to my dorm room and I penned out a letter to Jennifer and I sent it to her. And she, he said with a smile on his face, she wrote me right back. He's 54, they've been married 32 years. But there's always another side. There's no way there can be a division in the body of Christ between me and somebody else and and me not having some kind of a role in that. Because I can always do something. But look at Paul, and here's the point that I'm getting to. Remember what Paul says in verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Do you think... Paul could be writing to the Philippian believers and and having all his remembrance and not remember Lydia, the woman who was selling a purple, who had the seller purple who had come to lead in Christ, or the little slave girl, or the Philippian jailer. Do you think Paul could write to the Philippians and say, I'm giving God thanks in all my remembrance of you and not remember those things? Obviously not. But you know, what Paul's prayer was like as a Jew before he had become together for grace in the family of God? As a Jewish man, he would begin his prayers like this. I thank God I'm not a woman. And then he'd say, I thank God I'm not a slave. And above all else, God, I'm thankful that I'm not a dirty Gentile. So you see how being together in grace has changed Paul? He no longer prays that he's thankful that he's not a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. He's thanking God in all his remembrance of them. But as I've thrown all that out to you this morning, that palette isn't quite 
completely turned up to see the whole picture yet. Because we've got to look back to the last couple verses of chapter 7 and the first few verses of chapter 8 to see more about Paul. There was a sweet believer in the earliest church named Stephen. And you know what happened to Stephen? Stephen was stoned, right? There was a person there at that event who was consenting to that. It was Paul. Paul, as the consenter for that, was probably the one who instigated that. Because those which were going to stone Stephen took the outer garments off, and at whose feet did they put them to watch while they did that event of stoning? They put those their garments at the feet of Paul as Stephen was being stoned. I don't want to get too graphic here, but I do want to paint you a little bit more picture for get it completely turned upside right so that we can see it. Hey, there's another stone. Pick up that one. Hey, over here's a few guys. Get these. Can you imagine the sound of stone hitting flesh? And this guy over here with their garments at his feet. This was the early days of the church of Jesus Christ. And it says, following this event, Paul went around creating havoc in the church. He went around into people's homes, arresting them and having them thrown into prison. So at this event, can you imagine there was anyone on this planet who had a more evil look on their face and in their eyes than Paul did? This is God's servant. This is the beginning of God's church. And Paul was standing against it. And Paul was consenting to the stoning of this sweet believer in Jesus Christ. And he heard the sound of the stone hitting Philip's flesh. Or a stone or a rock hitting, or excuse me, hitting Stephen's skull. And the evil in his face. But what happened to Paul? None of us really think about that. I mean, we recognize the history, but none of us hold that against Paul today, do we? Why? Because we're together for grace. We're together for grace. I suggest to you, because Stephen was a sweet man, the early days of the church, and then Paul gone and creating havoc, his name was Saul at that time, in the church, that he might have been the most evil man on the planet. I bet if we took a vote for the most evil man on the planet today, this day, a guy named Vladimir Putin would win that ballot. Oh, I hate that evil. I hate that evil. But what if 
Vladimir Putin, what if he was to put his faith in Jesus Christ? Could you embrace him? Oh, I reckon there's a whole lot of stuff that's got to be dealt with. But I'm just saying spiritually speaking. That challenges our heart, don't it? That helps us see this a little more clearly, doesn't it? This this is how powerful grace is, folks. Can grace be that powerful in your life? It's how powerful grace is. Can grace be that powerful in your life? That's challenging. I get it. But that's truth. That's truth. Just finally, as that picture is now completely turned and we're seeing it, because that's what it is. And I'm looking at that on the palate of my own heart. What is it in your life that's keeping, or maybe keeping, the full power of being together for the purpose of grace being realized? Look, if you are here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that's a starting point. I'll pray if that be your desire today. You just make that desire known to God and God will find a way of getting the truth to your heart or hang around someone will talk to you. But for those, and it's the most if not all of us that are believers in Jesus Christ, knowing the full power of the grace of God. It's the power that would allow us to embrace anybody that's in faith, having experienced the grace of Jesus, even Vladimir Putin. So who is it that you have a cause or a claim against? Or what is it that's in your life that's keeping you from realizing the full power of the grace of Jesus Christ? Will you pray with me as we close? Father God, I come to your throne and I thank you once again for this opportunity. And uh, it's graphic to think about God, but you entered our world. You stepped into our mess for the purpose of redeeming us. Nothing shocks you, dear God. There's not a single one of us that is too dirty or too unclean for you to embrace. Thank you for embracing me, dear God. For anyone that may be here outside of Christ, Lord, if their desire is to settle that issue, I pray that you'll just let them know and find a way of connecting them with the explanation of the truth. It's simple. I'm a sinner. I recognize the penalty. I know Jesus Christ came and paid, and I trust in you. Thank you. Any one of us, Lord, this morning that's not completely together for grace in our faith for the purposes that you have for us, help us lay all that pettiness aside. If you could allow this evil man, Paul, to come to a sweet relationship with the book of, with the people in Philippians as we see in this book, we know that you can bring anyone together for the purpose 
of grace. Help us in all that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.